Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and plants and pets that are important to you. Folks, I have had a day. Look, I've never lied to you, and I'm not about to start lying to you now. I was not in a good place this morning. Emotionally. Um, I am in therapy, that's no secret, I've talked about that on this program before. I am on antidepressants antidepressants that I did not take last night. And that's most uh, definitely part of uh, why I felt the way I did today. Uh, some things happened this morning involving people I care about. I can't get into the details. Only to say I was an absolute wreck this morning, to the point where I honestly didn't know how I was going to make it through the day. I reached out to people I trust, and they reached back. And they listened to me, and they talked with me, and it helped. And I'm so, so fortunate to have people who care about me. And I want to thank them. Thank you. And I can see beyond myself, everybody, everybody has dealt with, is dealing with, or will deal with something at some point that will break them down emotionally. And if I can give you one thing to keep in mind when you are struggling. It's that um, you are not alone. You are not alone. Don't be afraid to reach out to people you trust, whether that means friends or family. And if you can't get through to friends or family, there are hotlines, there are resources you can reach out to. There are people whose job it is to help you. You are not alone. Folks, you are listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. There are no ads on this podcast, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality literature, uh, please consider purchasing one or two of my books. I'm the author of nine novels that are all currently available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all nine of my stories in ebook format at Google Play. Just type M A S C O L A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you don't use Amazon and you want paperback copies, look me up on barnesandnoble.com. You can find most of my books there. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. the enemy listeners this is episode 209 of the people are the enemy podcast thank you so much for checking it out you've chosen a great one because we have a great guest oh and i'm so excited i wanted to uh 
I wanted to start off with a bit of our guest's stand-up, um, but I should I should mention her name. We have Laura Severse, the Dorchester debutante herself. She's from Dorchester, Massachusetts, and uh, this is a bit uh, where Laura is talking about her daughter. So it, uh, please enjoy. She has a British accent <laughs> for no reason. We are from Dorchester. Hold your applause. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And when it first started, this has been going on seven years now. When it first started, I actually brought her to the doctor and I was like, listen, she's got a British accent. And he was like, okay. And I'm like, well, what, you know, what do we do? And he, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, we're not British. I don't. <laughs> He's like, you want my professional opinion? And I'm like, yeah. That is why we're here. That is why I paid $30 copay and $5 in parking. <laughs> yeah, please. He's like, I'll tell you. Kids are weird. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you, chief of the division. I left the appointment. I called my husband. My husband's super laid back. Really nice guy. He doesn't give it. He just rolls with fucking everything. And I'm like, yeah, doctor said, don't worry about it. Just go with it. My husband's like, all right, cool. And I was like, okay, well then, cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's speak with the Dorchester debutante herself, Laura Severs. Laura, are you there? I am here. Laura, thank you so, so much for talking sure. with me today. This is so special. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Oh, right on. How's, how has your day been? It's been fine, actually. It's been oddly quiet. So I always get nervous when things are too quiet. Oh. <laughs> are, 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 where are you right now? So I currently live in West Roxbury, which is one of the you know neighborhoods in the city of Boston. Um, it's about 15 minutes from my, my true, you know, where I grew up in, in Dorchester. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, we live in an apartment. We live in a three bedroom apartment. I'm being generous with three beds. It's like two and a half. We pretty much shoved my son into a closet. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's where I am. I'm home. It's quiet. I've been cleaning. It's nice. I'd like it. Very good. Very good. How, how long have you been doing stand up, Laura? I've been doing stand up. I, so I, I took a class in the fall of like, I would say it was like 2012 or 2013. And then, you know, it's so people, I, I don't know how you would kind of, you know, date when I started, if you will. I started getting regularly booked about a year or so after that. So I, I say that I've been doing comedy roughly about six or seven years. Do you remember the moment when you first thought, like, I want to get up on stage and, and make people laugh? Yeah, but I was like 17. I mean, I I grew up in a household where music and comedy and entertainment and the arts were all like highly valued and education was very valued and reading and all those things. And um, there was no censorship in my house. My dad was like a radical hippie for a while. And um, my mom was like kind of like a, a yuppie, but that went out the door immediately when, you know, cause you kind of need money to be a yuppie. But, um, but like my dad was like a very like military guy cause he grew up in a military home, but then he kind of flipped at some point. And um, so he didn't believe in censorship is what I'm getting to. Um, so I was allowed to read, watch and listen to anything I wanted to at any age. And that is um, good and bad. So for example, I grew up listening and watching George Carlin and Richard Pryor and um, probably people I 
probably shouldn't have been listening to at like nine. Um, <laughs> but that's okay because it made me very much want to do that. I've wanted, really wanted to do stand up comedy as long as I can remember, like I said, you know, probably around 17, 18, I remember just thinking like, I really want to get on stage and do that. And then, um, I didn't do anything about it because I was too busy being, you know, going to college and working and just living life. And then I think I was around 28 or 29. I decided, you know, I'm going to take a class at the Boston center for adult ed. And it was taught by this woman who was, um, a local, you know, stand up and really nice lady. And, um, I loved it, but I had also just met this boy, and um, so I did like we had like an uh, like a graduation ceremony after our class at the comedy studio in Cambridge. Um, the studio, you know, the world famous comedy studio located right above the Hong Kong restaurants. Not there now, but it is moving back to Cambridge. But um, we had a graduation there, and I did really really well, and I just fell in love. But I got very scared about having to go to open mics and actually produce content. And I had, like I said, met this boy that I was like desperately in love with and, um, ended up kind of shoving all that aside to focus on, um, work and him and, and just life. And so it kind of all went away, but I, it always stayed with me. I didn't, I wasn't actively in comedy or anything, but I, I would watch comics and be like, I'm funnier than that, which is a very arrogant thing to do. And now that I'm in the business, I'm like, oh, you know, the, the, just the arrogance of saying something like that. You, we watch people on stage and think it's so easy and it's not. And, right. and, and even when, if, if you think it's easy, it's because they have worked hard to make it seem like it's an easy thing. And it For is sure. absolutely not. Well so, put, well put. Do, do you remember yeah. your first joke, Laura? Oh, God. Yeah. My very first joke. And again, this is back when I was like 28. So we're talking a long, long time ago. So that first joke was something along the lines of I look forward to getting my Cosmo magazine every month. Um, but it makes me feel really bad about myself. And if I need that, I can just call my mom. <laughs> so stupid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like really, like I look back on that and I'm just like, oh, but then, so just to, so I, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but I, I didn't do comedy after that until I reached the tender age of 39. Um, so I, had this moment where my kids were really, I had two kids by that point and I, they were really little. I think they were like two and four. And I had this like health event that kind of reframed stuff for me and made me realize like, I really do need to kind of get out there and take, you know, do the things that I think that I want to do. Yeah. And so I took a class again at the Boston Center for Adult Ed. And this time I took it with um, a person named Dana J. Bine, who is a comic on the scene. And I, we just, I had so much fun in that class. And once I was like kind of connected into the class, I felt more comfortable going to open mics, going to shows, asking to be booked, and then really started really and truly writing. So I, I started comedy many moons ago, but, but didn't ever do anything for like 15 years, you know? Sure. Um, and then ended up like fully just in like engrossing myself, I guess that's probably the wrong word, but it, you know, they're doing a major deep dive into the Boston comedy scene. And, you know, I've been lucky. I've been very Boston wise. I've been very, very successful. Like I, I, 
I've risen quickly, probably more quickly than, than others. Um, you know, based on a few things, I'm older, I'm a mom, I, I write a lot and I, I'm a woman and we don't have a lot of, um, women on the scene. And so we tend to get booked, which is amazing. Um, and I really, you know, I use that to my advantage. So, um, you know, circling, you know, everything came full circle and now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm booked all the time and not, I shouldn't say all the time. That's, that's a little um, much, but like, I, I'm, I'm in good shape here in Boston and I, I do well, you know, and I, I, I work in, um, we have a, the club system here in Boston. We have the Tobin group, um, John Tobin presents, which is like Nick's and laugh Boston and roar out in Springfield. I mean, they've got a ton of rooms. So there's um, venues. That's awesome. Yeah. Lori, you mentioned you've got, you've got two kids. Some of your jokes obviously are about them. Do do your your kids ever mind you telling jokes about them? Um, there's some things that are supposed to be kind of off limits with them, but like, there are certain things but for the most part no they don't um i think they actually get a real kick out of it it makes it, it makes them feel kind of like they're a little bit famous like a little like a little a little famous adjacent if you will because they you know not, i would say a good 90 percent of my act is around being a mom them my husband and um you know i i try to do enough well-rounded material so that everyone, no matter where I am, the audience can relate. So I have jokes about, you know, a friend dating on Bumble and a joke about being in high school, but I have a significant amount of material and I have enough that, you know, we talk about, you know, you got to read the room. Um, I can do that. You know, I, I obviously can walk in and say, okay, this is, you know, I need to do this type of material in here looking at this crowd and I have to do, you know, whatever. Like you, you, learn you to, get a feel yeah. for how to truly, truly read a room. You well, have to. Laura, are your are your folks still around? Yes. No, yep. have have they seen you perform? My mom is super involved and loves to come see me and um she'd come to every show if I let her and they're just I don't want her in bars <laughs> you know she's 77 so I don't need her coming to Bill's bar on a Friday night but you know when I performed at the Wilbur she made sure she was there when I Great. perform at Laugh she will be there she if I go if I'm headlining Nick's she will be there um my dad is not he loves comedy and he's 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 one of the reasons why I got into both of them love comedy so much. Um, like as a kid, like we would watch what, what's the, um, Oh God, is it a funny thing happened on the way to the forum? I'm trying to remember the zero Mistel movies and the pink Panther movies and things like that. But my dad doesn't, you know, he's old and comfortable and doesn't really want to leave his house. So he's seen me perform on like video, but he's, he doesn't come out. And I don't mind that. It's totally Laura, fine. you mentioned you mentioned like early on getting nervous before you got out, got on stage. Do you still get nervous? Oh yeah. 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 Do you have any it, do you have any pre-show rituals that that calm you down or anything like that? So, here's the thing. It depends on the show and the venue where I'm going to be nervous. So, for example, um I was able to open for Tim Dillon back in July um six sold out shows at the Wilbur mm. and I was the very and I'm opening for him so I was the very first comic to take the stage at the Wilbur after we were all coming back from COVID so that in and of itself was a big deal so it was the first time a comic hit the stage in a year but also I was opening for Tim Dillon I was you know it's a it, the crowd I was nervous about the crowd so a situation like that yeah 
I'm nervous. Like, and we did on Saturday night, we did um, Foxwoods and I was terrified because I knew it was a huge venue, ton of people. But then there are shows, you know, at the comedy studio where I am so comfortable, it feels like home or even Nick's comedy stop. Like I walk in there like I own the joint because I'm I'm super comfortable and I just know how to work that crowd. So it just depends. You know, the, obviously the more you do and the bigger venues you get into, the less you feel um, so anxious. I'll, but let me put it to you this way. If I was ever asked to do the Wilbur again, I would be just as nervous as I was the first time because it's it's the Wilbur. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, in terms of my rituals, I do have a lot of, I do have a lot of odd rituals. But so one of them is I always have to have two cigarettes on the way to the show. And I don't actually really smoke, but <laughs> but I I keep them in my car. Yes. And and I have to have two, and they have to be timed out very specifically. I always ha- I have to make sure I have the second one 13 minutes before I'm due to arrive. Wow. That's yeah, very specific. Yep. It, I, the second it says I'm 13 minutes away, I like cigarette number two. And it's bizarre. And then I have to have four Altoids in my mouth. Um, <laughs> and I do. I always do my makeup in the car while I'm driving, so stay away from me. Yeah. Um, if you see me on the road, go the other way. Yeah. Um, I, there are certain things that I will wear. There are certain, um, like sweaters I won't wear. Like I have, I have a lot of weird. You've got a lot of rituals. Yeah, I yeah. do. Very cool. Um, Thank you so much for sharing those. I appreciate it. Yeah. I know a lot of, a lot of folks have, have their things and I, they think they're the only ones, but it's nice oh, to hear God, from. God, no. Yeah. No. Laura, you're, you're a big music fan as am I. Oh yeah. As are yeah. the listeners of this podcast. Do you see a lot of live music? I know right now with with the pandemic and everything, it's tough to, but are you a fan of live music? I I live and die to see my my bands live. Really? You know, yeah. Like I I did something. Let me put. I'll give you an example of how bad and inappropriate I am with with concerts and music. Okay, so it's probably like I'll say five years ago. I'm blanking. U2 tickets went on sale. It was two weeks before Christmas. I needed to buy gifts for my children, gifts for my family, etc. Rather than that, I charged $1,200 worth of tickets on a credit card. And then after the fact, told my husband who went through the roof. Now, my husband, you have to understand, laid back, kind, sweet, one of, you know, truly one of the most incredible human beings I've ever had the honor to know. I mean, I, I, I'm very lucky to have him. So when a guy like him gets mad, you know, you're in trouble. Oh dear. Yeah. yeah, Cause this person, this is somebody who just doesn't get mad. Yeah. You know, he'll, he, he can find the good in anyone in anything, which I can't, I, I'm the opposite. And, um, I'm my my default is that everyone is an asshole and his default is that everyone is is good and kind <laughs> and we have to be so that's why we work. Yeah. Um, right on. Right yeah. on. Uh, Are you, but, I have yeah. to ask about this. My wife would kill me if if I didn't ask. You being mm-hmm. from Dorchester and music. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, of course. You're going to ask about the new kids on the block. Or you might even be asking about new additions. So, well, my Go ahead. So, I grew up right down the street from Jordan and Jonathan Knight. <clears throat> and we, um, you know, had typical neighborhood interactions, like just all the kids hanging out, you know, just very standard Dorchester-y interaction. Like I, and it's just, yeah. And then, 
Joey McIntyre went to my school for like seventh grade, but he was like, I think I was in eighth or ninth and he was in the seventh, but he ended up leaving because he was in this group and the group was going on the road and we were all like, okay. Um, and you know, who's getting the last laugh now, but, um, and then the Wahlbergs were, you have to understand the Wahlberg family is massive. Like, I mean, there's like nine of them and they were everywhere. I mean, you, you were going to run into, to one of them at, at you know somewhere somehow you know it, they're just it was a huge family um and they were one of those big just well-known dorchester families back then though well-known not in a good way um they were all like punks and jerks and whatever but you know as we well know that's completely changed um but like you know they were just a very classic big irish dorchester family so yes i i have connection with them um not as like like I couldn't. I'd like to. Be, I it's not the type of connection where I could like you know text someone and be like, hey, I want to go to the new kids concert and I tickets appear at my doorstep. Not like that. But if I ran into one of them, I could just be like, hey, how's it going? Or, you know, how are you? More like that. You know what I mean? Very cool. Very cool, Laura. Yeah. I I wanted to talk about the wallet, the twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Tim Dillon trailer that you were a part of that. It's very convincing. I thought when I first saw it, I saw the A20, you know, first of all, the rated R logo and the A24 logo. I said, okay, is this, is this real? What, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. How, how did you get involved in this, uh, in the making of this faux trailer? So I've known Tim for a long time. I think we met, uh, I want to say 2016, 2017. So Tim was uh, a New York comic and he was, you know, he, he had made friends with my friend Eric and Eric would do these shows, um, for the kind of the, well, for the sober community. And we, Eric had me on a show. It was called Sober in the Sun and it was out in Rutland, Massachusetts. Also on the show was my friend Jack Burke, also a comic from uh, Massachusetts, but now living in New York, doing great. He's awesome. Check him out. Jack Burke. Um, and then Tim, so it was me, Tim, Jack Burke, and another comic, Mike Dorval, another great guy. And, um, we did this show all together and Tim and I just hit it off. Like we kept quoting Sebastian Maniscalco back and forth to each other all night long. And we both love to eat. And we all ended up in a diner together at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning after this show and just having like the best time, you know, cause he's just off the wall and I love him to death. And, um, so he, called me i think it was last february actually coming up on a year it's just about a year old he we we you know we text we chat um when he's in boston typically i open for him if he doesn't bring his bring an opener um so i've opened for him at laugh you know a bunch of times um and then of course he asked me to do the wilbur with him in july which was like again the biggest thing in my life that thus to date um comedy life I should say not my real life because in real life I pr probably need to say something sweet about my children but whatever um so um for the wallet he just called me and was like hey I want to do this I want to do this like fake movie trailer um and I need you to play the mother and I want you to be as like extra Boston as you can possibly be and I'm like yep I can do that don't worry about that I got that nailed very cool. and we just we had so much fun and there were he, what I love about Tim so much is that Anything I suggested, like he was totally open to. Oh, and the and the film crew that was filming it is called Trace Gatos, and it's my friend Luke Jarvis and, and Rob Pooley who um, kind of own an op. They do own and operate Trace Gatos. So when Luke showed up to do the 
filming, I'm like, oh my God, like, this is amazing because I didn't realize it was going to be Luke. So I was like even extra more comfortable because I've acted with Luke before and, and taken his direction before. So it, it, everything just came together so perfectly. And, um, I just happened to be down on the Cape at the time. And I had asked him, I'm like, what vibe do you want? Do you want like the city vibe? Cause we can do it in my apartment. We can do a whole towny thing. Or do you want like that, like desolate, you know, beachy, you know, kind of white trashy vibe. And he was like, let's do the Cape. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm here. Let's do it. Come on down. And, um, like little, little silly little things like for Tim always, Tim has a joke about how, um, like people from Long Island ashing in big, huge seashells. So I had a big huge <laughs> seashell that I was using as an ashtray. And I'm like, we got to yes. put this on the table. And he was like, yes, we do. And then I said, let me go gather all the pills in the house and we'll put them on the lazy Susan, because that's definitely like a kind of a thing in an, in a white trash yeah. you know, um, household. I mean, I grew up around, you know, you'd walk into your friend's house and some mother was always sitting at the table smoking and all her pills were in front of her along with her inquiry yes. magazine. You know what I mean? Yes, so, for sure. It, yeah. So it's and everything very good. I said along those lines, he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect." It's so, very like, good. We just we just did it, and we we did a ton of stuff. Like we filmed mm-hmm. for like they were off filming their stuff, and then when they came back, we did our scene at the table. But we did a ton of stuff, and I would actually to this day still love to see the outtakes from all that because we did some really funny shit while we were sitting at that table. Um, but that's that great. yeah, that's how it was. He, he's a friend, and he called, and he was like, "Do this thing," and I'm like, "Yeah, this is probably what I was born to do." So let's do it. That's awesome. Um, I, I, I yeah, will be sure to uh, definitely not a stretch. I'll tell you that. Was, no, you nailed it. You nailed it for mm-hmm. sure. And what I'll do is I'll put a clip, uh, rather a link to the uh, YouTube video, so our listeners can can check that out. And you definitely should, listeners. You get a kick out of, it. and you obviously you you, you can't miss Laura. Uh, w- Laura, we lost two well-known American comedians in the last two weeks. I know. Were you a fan at all of Bob Saget and uh, Louis Anderson? Yeah. So Bob Saget, I always enjoyed him. But of course, you know, I knew him more from Full House than I did his stand-up. And then when I got into stand-up, I realized like, oh, I didn't even, I felt so ignorant uh, about that. But, you know, and then I, of course, went back and did the deep dive because I always do a deep dive on on people. um, Sure that I end up, you know, whatever. So I yeah. ended up loving him. You know what I mean? So when he passed, I was stunned and just shocked. He was so young and it crushed me because he died alone in a hotel room yeah. on tour. Like, yeah. And I, like, that just gutted me. That just gutted me. The only thing good I can say about it is he died doing the thing that he loved. I mean, he probably had just come off stage or was getting ready to go on stage. So at the very least there's that, but yeah, that crushed me. And then Louie, Yesterday, oh, I watched him as a kid. Like, I loved him. And what I loved about him was he could do, he could take a bit and just make a face. And the face would kill you. It it was just hilarious. I mean, one of the clips going around yesterday that I watched like 10 times again is when he was talking about being a little, like how he had four older brothers and he was a little kid. And he, you know, he had to avoid the swamp because he told him there was a monster in it. And he does this word thing where he's like, you know, I got a little bigger. I got a little older and I got a little brother. And just (laughs) that line, like it's so well written. And yeah, it, this is the thing too like you know we have to look at the like the Bob Saget thing is tragic because he was young and he was 
you know, still touring and still killing it. And he was beloved in the community. Louis is not as tragic. He was older, you know, and I know he had health problems, so I don't think it was more as much of a surprise. But the Bob Saget thing was a shocking surprise. Yeah. Like, that was just awful. Um, with Louis, it was it's a little more okay only because, you know, he was an old man and he was getting up there and he, but you know, I, I like to hope that he had a nice, good, comfortable life towards the end. For you know, sure. I don't know anything about the circumstances of his death or anything like that, but certain, certain deaths hit harder than other ones and certain deaths are okay ish. If, 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 if you know, it, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's like when someone's mom dies at 60, you're like, oh God, it's, you know, tragic and upsetting and whatever. But when somebody's great grandfather dies at 94, you're like, well, you know, 94, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Laura, you mentioned that you're, you're heading out to the West coast in the next couple of days. Um, what will you be doing out there? So uh, my goal is to, you know, a lot of people head out to LA to see if they like it and they go for like a week or they'll go for like three days, do a couple shows and then, you know, be like, yeah, it was fun, I guess. And then, but and I've done that, but what I am doing is I'm actually spending a good amount of time out there and really kind of doing a deep dive in terms of, is this a place I can live? Is this a place my children can live? Do I want to be out here and do it? And, and here's the thing. Let me, I want to back up a little bit. I've had LA on my mind since I was, you know, 15 years old. Like I wanted to move to California the second I graduated from high school, but you just didn't do things like that back then. Mm -hmm. You went to college, you, you know, got married, you had kids. Like it wasn't, that just wasn't like a, like to me that I didn't know that that was even an option, you know, or even to look for a college out in California. I didn't even think that was an option. Right. Like you just grow up in with these certain things in your head. So I've had California on my mind for decades. Um, And we go out there a lot. Um, we have friends in San Diego, very close friends out in San Diego. We have friends in LA. So we, we go to California, but what we've never done and what I've never done is spent time there, kind of continual time there to see what's it like to just go to the supermarket? What's it like to find parking? What's it like to just regular, normal, everyday things that we do here in Boston that I know how to do. Is the plan Um, for you to perform out there? What's that? Is the plan for you to perform out there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole time I'm there, I'm going to be on shows and doing shows and connecting with my comic friends and connecting with my regular friends. Will, and... you, be, will you be posting dates on your site? Yes. Okay. So I typically post on Instagram mm-hmm. my big shows, like shows. I don't post my little bar shows for Boston ever, but I always post my big shows, whether I'm headlining, you know, if I'm headlining Knicks, whatever. But I'm going to make a little calendar of everything that I'm doing while I'm in L.A. Awesome. And, um... That way, anyone who's out in L.A. and wants to see me can swing on by and, and check it out. Very um, good. There you have it. There yeah. you have it. And what we'll do is we're going to post. make sure to post links uh, on the description of this podcast episode to all of Laura's social media. And I encourage you to check her out. I encourage you to check out everything she does. She's a wonderful comic. Laura, this has been so much fun. Thank you so, so much for giving me your time. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, I, you were I, wonderful. You were wonderful. I get a... I get very passionate about the like the music and the and the comedy. Yeah, no, well, well life, if you if know? you loved if we love, I'd love to have you back if you want to come back. This has been so much fun. This has been episode two hundred and nine of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as a dollar ninety nine. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Laura Severse. You are wonderful. We love you. Thank you. you. Peace.